time you're a guest, you're just one of us from now on. Amen. Our prayer is that you would find Jesus to be very personal today. Praise God. I am excited about what God is doing at Spirit of Grace Church. We have, God has put us on the move over the last couple of months. We have been preaching about the foundations of this church. We preached about the fact that we believe that the Bible is the true word of God and gave all kinds of evidence for that. We preached about agape love. We've preached about tithing and giving. We've preached about seeking him first. We've preached about all kinds of things that are foundational to this church, all culminating with today's message. Today's message, I want to wrap all of the foundations up and remember that we are built, this church is built on the foundation of the apostle and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And uh, we want to be as much of an apostolic Pentecostal church as possible, meaning this, that we are built on the apostles' doctrine that was birthed at Pentecost. We are not a denomination. We are not a construct. We are not an organization. We are an organism settled at 10110 Woodcrest Drive where the hand of the Lord is moving and leading and guiding us into everything that he wants for us. And our cry has been, bring it on, Lord, direct us, lead us, and guide us. And so we come to this closing message, if you will, on this series of foundational uh, topics for this church. And uh, we come to this last one, and it's just the way God does things. He just kind of lines everything up for us. And if you missed Cheryl's lesson today, you missed a great lesson. And I encourage you to go back and watch it. And uh, next time you might not miss it. But she just put the ball right on a tee for me to take a swing at this thing. And uh, lined it right up for us because I believe this. He does want us to cast all our cares on him. He does want us to surrender everything we are to him. And I want to preach for the next few minutes today with the help of the Lord, and then we're going to do something that I honestly believe is going to change the trajectory of this church, both as individuals and as a corporate body. And uh, I, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is in it, on it, around it, saturated it. I sat over here in the dark the other day just asking the Lord, Lord, just let it be so. And uh, the sweet presence of the Lord moved into the sanctuary. It was just me and Jesus and uh, in preparing for this word today. So I'm asking you to turn to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs chapter 3, and there's two verses here that some might be fairly familiar with because we quote it quite often. But I want to go a little bit further today. Proverbs chapter 3, starting at verse number 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now, I have often criticized the English language when it comes to Hebrew and Greek, and you have heard me 
our vocabulary is nothing compared to the Hebrew or the Greek. But in this particular case, it is pretty straightforward. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that covers all of your actions, your thoughts, your will, your mind, your responsibilities. Your, all of it, trust him. How many have done that? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. We get in trouble with that one. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. The, the, the Solomon just kind of really just walked right into our living room, didn't he? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be, everybody say shall be, health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increased, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall birth out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And I want to preach on this message, a declaration of dependence. It's the foundation of who we are. I want to just read one little scripture over in the book of Luke. The first chapter, the 38th verse. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I find the story of Mary to be very interesting. Most historians will tell you that Mary was probably 15 or 16 when the angel visited her. 15 or 16. So this isn't an old man's message. It's not an old lady's message. This is for you teenagers as well. All the way down to the youngest, you can declare your dependence on him today. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up to this 15 or 16-year-old, and we like to just kind of read through the Christmas story, and it sounds really cool, but you've got to put some nuts and bolts to what's going on here. How many of you parents, if your 15 or 16-year-old daughter came home and said, Mom, Dad, I have something to tell you, I'm pregnant, you'd go through the roof probably at first, and then you'd really go through the roof when you said, but I've never known a man, I've only had an experience with an angel. <laughs> there you go. But that's what Mary was facing. It's one of the reasons that Mary had to go to Elizabeth because she couldn't confront her family and it was being widespread that she was illegitimately pregnant. And the story was, an angel from God visited me. 
and God overshadowed me. Yeah, right. And, and, and I think that Mary understood in that moment of time what was actually taking place and being asked of her. She was being asked to throw away her betrothal to Joseph. Now, that may not have meant that much to her because in those days, you didn't get married because you loved somebody. You got married because the gentleman wanted to have you as their possession. And so Joseph went at some point in time and sat down with Mary's dad and said, hey, I'll give you 10 bucks, a ram, and a horse. Let me have your daughter. And since they needed a horse and they needed a ram and $10 went a long way, they said, okay, you got her. That was the extent of their betrothal. So I don't know if she was that enamored with Joseph. She could have been. But what I do find out is that she is enamored with Almighty God. And she is enamored with the angelic pronouncement that God has chosen her to be a vessel of honor and a vessel of anointing and a vessel of God manifest in the flesh. And so she's leaning there. She doesn't understand it. She can't understand what it means at 15 or 16. She doesn't understand what she's getting ready to go through. She doesn't totally understand the ridicule she's going to face. She doesn't understand how she's going to raise God manifest in flesh. No pressure, moms, but none of your kids was God. She didn't understand any of that. But the Bible says, she said, be it unto me. According to thy word. You see, when you have a word from the Lord, you have something to stand on. When you have a word from the Lord, you have something to hold on to. When the storms are blowing and the winds are are howling and things are happening around you, I've got a word from the Lord. The disciples learned this, but it took them longer than it took Mary to learn it. In Luke chapter 5, these brilliant fishermen that are commercial fishers, and they're out all night long. Couldn't catch a thing. All night they toiled, the Bible says. And they came in. You want to know what Jesus said? Go back out and try it again. Now, we don't understand what that means. Because what that means for some of us is we put a key in the ignition, and we turn the key, we push the throttle down, and the motor and the boat takes us wherever we're going to go. And when we get there, we get our fishing rod out and we do all kinds of things and we enjoy the time again. For them, that's not the way it was. They were the engine. They had to grab the oars. They had to grab the sails. They had to work to get back out to the deep. And then it wasn't just throwing a a fishing rod over. They had these big, huge nets that would have taken five to ten people to haul over the side. And when they did that, the fish showed up. And so what I find interesting, though, is while they're still on shore, the disciples go ahead and say, all right, can I just read between the lines because we're human and I've been raising two humans? Jesus says, go back out and do it again. But Jesus, I've already tried it that way. I've already done this. I know better than you anyhow because you aren't a fisherman. I, I, I've done it. I've done this my whole life. There's no fish to be caught today. 
but because you're Jesus, at your word, I'll go ahead and do it. And they go back out and they get this. See, they forgot that even though Jesus wasn't a fisher, he created the fish. Put the net down, pulled up a huge haul. I would think that they would learn their lesson, but in the book of John, after three and a half years of ministering with him, Paul or Peter says he's frustrated after the resurrection, after the death and the burial, and he said, I'm going fishing. And the disciples say, Okay, we are too. And they go out into the deep and they, 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 they try to fish all night again. And as they're coming to the shore, there's a man standing on the shore. Hey, just put your net on the other side of the boat. Are you serious? First of all, they don't recognize that it's Jesus yet. At the same time, I think they had the same attitude. What is this guy talking about? It's not just pulling a fishing rod out of one side of the boat and walking over and casting. It's hauling this huge net across the boat and putting it over the boat. And then when the fish show up, John says, that must be Jesus. What am I trying to say? Is you and I have example after example whether we like it or we don't like it, whether we understand it or we don't understand it, whatever the situation may be, if we will just trust him, he will take care of it. He will take care, not even the way that we think he should or could or would, but he always shows up at just the right moment if we will just trust him. I am praying today that somebody will be released from their anxiety and their worry and their struggling because you've been trying to figure life out on your own. You've been trying to make A plus B equals C. You've been trying to do all kinds of things within your own power, and God is trying to say to somebody, that's not going to work. And I know it doesn't make sense right now, but just cast your net on the other side of the boat and just see what happens. I find this passage in Proverbs a little interesting. We quote it all the time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your path. And we usually stop. We quote verses 5 and 6, and we forget 7 through 12. But this whole passage is connected. Here's what Jesus, or here's what the word of the Lord is saying Trust in the Lord. That word trust is a springboard to accomplish the rest of this passage. You can't make it anywhere with God until you learn to trust him. Trust is not something that the Lord initiates. It's something that we desire. God, I desire to trust you. The word trust has to do with the concept of faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. You can't please him without trusting him. Here's our problem. In our life, we do mental gymnastics 
to try to say when we can trust him and when we can't trust him. And we may not use that terminology, but can I tell you, when you try to fix your situation on your own, you're saying, I can't trust him with this. It is the foundation of this church that everything that we do, we trust him for. We trust him for the right musicians. We trust him for the right singers. We trust him for the right teachers. We trust him for the right greeters. We trust him for the finance. We trust him for the understanding. We trust him for mercy. We trust him for grace. We trust him for this service. We trust him for every, every time we gather together. We are gathering because I can trust that Jesus is going to show up. I trust him because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm sorry you may feel like he is a million miles away, but I trust in him. I know he's right by my side. I know he's right there with me every day, every hour, when I'm doing real good, when I'm not doing very good, when I'm a miserable mess, and when I'm flying on cloud nine, he's right there with me. Trust him with all thine heart. Trust springboards you to where you stop leaning on your own understanding. That word understanding is the equivalent to our English word discernment, perspective. How many have gotten so out of sorts because you perceived something that wasn't correct? Want to know what that lets me know? Those times that I do that, I'm leaning on my own understanding. Whether it be with people, whether it be between me and God, whether it be the politics of the country, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We get this misperception because we're not trusting him. Listen, I can't explain to you what all is going on in the world. All I know is this. I don't lean to my understanding. I'm just going to be with him. God, it infuriates me. Yep, I'm in control. God, I don't understand this. Why am I having to deal with this? Why am I having to face this situation? I don't like it very well, God. Yeah, I know. Want to know how I know these conversations take place in the Spirit? Read the book of Job. Finally, God got tired of the back and forth. And he looked at Job and said, where were you when I created it? I mean, that was just one statement. He went on. But that one statement answers it all for me. Where was I when he, when, when he put everything into motion? Where was I? The only place I was was in his brain, in his mind. So who am I to try to figure out how the world goes round? In all thy ways... Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We have watered down, I have watered down this word acknowledge. Acknowledging him doesn't mean just checking in with him and then going do what you want to do anyhow. Do you want to know what the Hebrew word for acknowledge is there? It's yada. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I preached on yada? 
That word acknowledge means to get intimate with him. In everything you do, get intimate with Jesus. In every circumstance, in every decision-making process, you better find a place of intimacy where you can lean on him and he comes back to you and there's a connect point that you have with him in an intimate fashion because that's what God wants. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Because then you can trust your path. How many have ever questioned whether you're doing the will of God? Can I tell you, it's not an issue of whether or not you've understood him or he's revealed it yet. It's a, it, it, the, the problem lies in your intimacy level. If we get intimate with Jesus, the Bible promises, if we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will direct thy path. Other versions say, he will make your path straight. Your intimacy level. The, 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 I believe it's the psalmist, maybe it's another proverb, but it says that the steps of a righteous man is ordered by the Lord. When you come into intimacy with him and your relationship is on an intimate level with Jesus, you can trust him that he's going to take you down the right path. So when you're questioning his will and you're questioning his call and you're questioning everything that's about you, I want you to take a step back and say, have I spent the appropriate amount of time cultivating my relationship with you? Because if I've done so and I'm in intimacy with you, I can trust this next footstep. Because I'm acknowledging him in all my ways. He reiterates in verse 7, be not wise in thine own eyes. Have you ever been around a know-it-all? And if you haven't raised your hand, you might be the one that thinks they're a know-it-all. You can't converse with a know-it-all. It's hard to do because they're not willing to look at where they're messing up. All of us have this in some area of our life. We think we know everything. We think we've got it down. I see this, and I'm just going to give you a crude example so that none of you are offended. But uh, I see this on days... And or after seasons, all of the armchair quarterbacks that think they know what's right for the sports teams. Like the person that's making the decision hasn't spent his entire life focusing on football. KOC, Kevin O'Connell, you need to do this, this, and this. This has to happen in order for, like O'Connell hasn't been around football forever. Like, he can't see the ins and outs better than me sitting in front of my TV screen. But yet we think we know this has to happen and this has to happen and this has to happen. We've given up on the Bears. There, there's no hope. There, there, there's a <laughs> there is something that happens in life when we stop 
resting in him and trusting in him and thinking we know better than him and thinking that we have the game plan and that if this just happens and this just happens and this just moves, then all of a sudden it's going to fall into place. My friend, that's not how this thing called life works. Life is I turn all of my stuff over to you and I trust that you will lead me. It made absolutely zero sense for my wife and I to move here in Christmas of 2-8 to become pastors of this church. Zero logical sense. We were assisting a church of about 600 people, five to 600 people. I was doing everything that I do now. Just didn't have the final say in a lot of things. I was teaching every week. I was teaching the college classes. We were putting on dramas. We were working with people and staff. We were doing all of it. Made zero sense. How many remember that 08 and 09 was the housing crash? We couldn't sell our house for nothing. So we rented it out for a year, and I moved into the basement with my, of my parents' home. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not complaining, but I want to show you. It had zero logic. I had a five-year-old that had just started kindergarten, did half year at Dobbs Elementary in Kansas City, then came here, and we knew we weren't living in Woodbury forever, but he still had to go to school, so he did a year and a half at Lake Elmo Elementary. That one back there was born in October We moved the 1st of December, middle of winter. Didn't make sense. This church had two pennies to rub together. It wasn't a rich congregation. It was 22 voters to vote us. Didn't make sense for me to tell the board there's two things that I require before you come before we come. Number one, I require that you keep paying Pastor Gary six hundred dollars a month and you pay us a thousand. Because they didn't have it. I think Randy and Cheryl may have been on the board at the time, but nobody else here is on the they, we, we, the church didn't really have it. But they trusted. We never missed a payment to Pastor Gary. In fact, we paid Pastor Gary a $600. That was the thing he set up. So it was, I would have paid him more, but that was his setup with the board. $600. We paid that $600 about two years or so after his passing because he made a commitment to this building. We just kept chucking his $600 into this to fulfill his, uh, his pledge to this building. Never missed a payment. I've never had a check bounce that Taryn's written to us, or Christine, or Keith, just to cover the bases. Never have I had a check bounce. Why? Because we've trusted. It didn't make any sense. We still had a mortgage when we started talking about expanding. Didn't make any sense. But we finally looked at one another and basically said, if we don't do it now, we're just going to have this small little church forever because we're never going to be able to grow because there's not going to be any space. 
we made a leap of faith. Some of you were here when we did so. Half of you weren't. And that should tell you the whole story right there. We jumped before the construction loan kicked in. This church paid off a $340,000 mortgage, averaging about 55 people in service. In less than nine years. What am I saying? Am I saying it was about us? No, no, no. We just made a conscious decision. You're in charge. I trust you, Lord. You say to jump, we got to jump. You say to move, we got to move. Can I tell you a year, a little over a year ago, uh, would have been September a year and a half ago, where Randy came up to me after the Lord spoke to him and said, it's time for you to quit at Aramart. And I said, okay. Did we have all our ducks in a row financially? Did we have everything planned out? Did we have a bunch of leftover money in a bank account that we could lean on? No, 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 no. The church jumped. We jumped as a family and said, listen, this is what it needs to be, and and we're just going to see. And do you know that over the last year, we actually brought in more money than went out than previous year, including all of the expense to support a full-time pastor? What's that all about? Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him and he. Don't lean on your own understanding. It doesn't make sense. You'll talk yourself up. Do you understand that the timing of the Lord was the timing of the Lord because he saw a bunch of you people that were going to come through a pandemic that weren't going to be able to find a church to go to, but because there was a sanctuary that was big enough to continue to have service, there was an opportunity for you to find a seat in a Holy Ghost-filled church. Trust in the Lord. Become dependent on him. Don't be wise in your own understanding. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It shall be healthy. What is the word it? It is the trust. It goes back to the trust. Your trust shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. That word health is the word medicine. The word navel is actually literally the umbilical cord that feeds all of your organs and gives sustenance and growth to all of that which is on the inside. When you trust him, he works in your inner being and puts medicine in your heart and puts medicine in all of your organs. And from the inside out, you become whole. The word marrow there is that moisture, that lubricant that allows your joints not to rub against one another. And when that happens, your skeletal from the outside in is taken care of. When you trust him, he takes care of you wholly. Incompletely. Because we trust him. We talked about tithe and offering a couple weeks ago. But because I trust him, I trust him, I trust him, so I'm going to honor him with the, uh, uh, the, the substance that God gives us and with the first fruit, and then I know he's going to take care of me. Because I trust him, I can take the discipline. How many have ever been disciplined by God? How many's ever liked it? Yeah, I didn't think so. Nobody likes to be disciplined. It's not in our nature. 
I don't like to be corrected. I don't like to be rebuked, reproved. I, I want to just do my thing. But because I trust in him, he comes in. And he does it in a gentle way, yet firm way. Tim, it's time to straighten out. See, I trust him enough to know that when he stops disciplining me, I'm in a lot of trouble. Because his discipline comes from a heart of love. His discipline comes from a, of a, a, from a place that says, I love you. And you're trusting me to correct you. Trust. Trust has got to be found in the foundation of the church. You can't build anything else without trust. I want to say some things, and I don't mean to be offensive. And so I'm going to make some qualifying statements here at the beginning. I love America. The United States of America, I believe, is the greatest country still on this earth. With all of its problems and all of its junk and all of its shortcomings, it's still the greatest country in the world. But I have some issues with this great country of ours because they have walked away from the principles of the Word of God. In many cases, they have actually snubbed their nose at the things. But here's the thing. On July 4th, 1776, a document was written. The Declaration of Independence. And we're 240 years away from that document, and yet we still stand on that document. We still lean on that document where those men of old gathered together and they wrote up a declaration of independence from the kingship of England and said, we're going to do our thing, you do your thing. And we're going to trust in it and believe in it. Like Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. I'm going to fight tooth and nail to have it. But here's my issue with the Declaration of Independence. Men were never designed to be independent. As a country, we need to be independent. But as individuals, God did not make us or design us to be independent. We are not designed to be solo artists. We are not designed to have our own islands. We are designed to be built together, fitly framed together in the foundation of the prophets and the apostles and Jesus. We are designed for community. We are designed for codependence. Why do you think there's such a battle going on in the country today? Is it because of good and evil? That's all part of it. But what's really happening is some people want to be independent and some people want to be dependent. Not on other people, but on principles and on the things of God. I don't care who's in the... There you go. Patrick Henry's in this book right here, Cheryl, Luke 7. The Bible is a book worth more than all the other books which were ever printed 
Patrick Henry on the page that she taught from today. You see, here's what, here's what has happened. We have gathered the men of 1776 together. And they were not writing as individuals. They were writing as a group of men that were getting ready to stand for a country and that needed to be independent from them. But here is where they missed it, I believe. I wish they would have written the Declaration of Independence and put a second page to it. And that second page, I wish they would have said, a Declaration of Dependence. Because when you become independent of one thing, you've got to become dependent upon another because you are designed in the eyes of God to be a dependent creature. Well, Pastor, how do you know that? Because God created an individual, said he's not good enough. It's not good that man should be alone. So the first surgery first transplant ever divine anesthesia <sighs> give me a rib you don't need that created woman and what was one of their duties go and replenish the earth Listen, before I take another step, I, I need you to hear me and not mishear me. God made us in his image, which lets me know there's some place in God that needs fellowship. He had angels. He had all kinds of things. He has creation. But somewhere... If God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone and we're created in his image, that tells me that somewhere in God, he wanted to have somebody to have friendship with. Otherwise, the Proverbs would have said, get intimate with him in all your ways, and he'll direct your path. I said at the beginning of this message today that we are getting ready to have a shift, if you will, in a trajectory of this church. And even if you're a guest here today, you have the opportunity of joining us, both on an individual basis and a corporate basis. I'm asking, Travis, will you grab that end chair and just put it right up here? We're going to do something totally different. They can, it can be reached. That may not be big enough. Let's go that way. I commissioned Marianne a couple of weeks ago.
And before you, we have our declaration of dependence. I want to read what is written here. Yes, I played Thomas Jefferson. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the mental, spiritual, and emotional bonds which have held them captive to the restraints of the enemy and the selfish desires of the flesh and to receive the power and authority of a kingdom and a king that transcends time and eternity. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal in the image of the Creator, and they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. For these rights to be accessed, there needs to be a separation from all institutions of our carnality and our enemies' strongholds. In doing so, all elements of the people should be built on the doctrine of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. While the church has been patient, the history of the present prince of this world, Satan himself, has historically repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the children of God. He has done this by falsely accusing us of sins that have been removed at Calvary, causing chaos in our minds, oppressing us with heaviness, casting fear into our daily walk, declaring us useless and unloved. In every stage of these oppressions, we have tolerated hatred, guilt, condemnation, and shame. We, therefore, the representatives of Spirit of Grace Church, in unity of spirit, soul, and body, do in the name of Jesus Christ and by the authority of the Word of God, solemnly publish and declare that this church, Spirit of Grace Church, we are absolved from all allegiance to our own desires and that all connection to this earthly realm is totally dissolved and that as a free people by God, of God, and for God will become independent from all carnality and the disposition of our enemy. We thereby declare our absolute and undivided dependence on Jesus Christ and Him alone. From this day forward, we declare our allegiance to the one who paid our debt on Calvary and will forever be connected to His kingdom. Would you stand and worship with me now?